one last thing I thought, uh, some of you know what today is? September 11th? Yeah, 9-11. And uh, it's funny, it kind of snuck up on us, and we were talking a little beforehand and just realizing that, uh, man, that was 21 years ago. Um, it just seems, some of us, it seems like yesterday, and some of you, it was before you were born. Um, but uh, we can still be friends. You're that young. But, uh, um, but yeah, um, I think it's just a, always appropriate to remember um, solemn occasions and just to remember and just to val- appreciate uh, those who uh, sacrificed and, and, again, just reaffirm what God is doing in our country um, and desires to do. And um, uh, so let me, let, me get, let me pray again. Um, Father, I thank you. Uh, for the country we live in. And this is a day that we remember, a very terrible, tragic day. Uh, and so many lives were lost. And uh, it's a day that we will, uh, those of us who were alive and old enough at the time, it's a day we'll never forget. And Father, my prayer is that that memory will cause us to live better today. Lord, that we might be better people, that we might be better citizens um, of this country. And uh, it's although these, these memories are painful, Father, uh, they do often cause us to be better. And that's our prayer this day, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles and want to turn to Daniel chapter 3, I will be uh, circling back there in just a, a moment. <clears throat> so uh, a couple weeks ago, I had my annual physical and went in and just pretty routine, didn't, you know, nothing new, nothing of, uh, unusual. But then a week or so ago, I got, a, I got the, um, the bill. And um, which really surprised me because, you know, part of my health insurance is that I'm allowed one physical a year, at, you know, and basically they cover everything. And so I noticed that this bill was for extra services that occurred during this. And so I, you know, I got on my... Um, did some inquiries, and, and I wasn't getting really straight answers. I said, hey, this, why is this happening? What, and, and they said it was basically, you know, stuff that happened during the physical that was beyond the scope of a physical. And I was like, how can a conversation with your doctor be beyond the scope of a physical? And Because um, that's what it was. It wasn't like he did anything. Did, I, I didn't have any extra x-rays. We didn't have anything extra. There was no extra testing or anything. It was literally he and I in the room and we're having a conversation um, about different things, besides the blood work and everything else. But um, here's what I discovered after two or three exchanges with, you know, via my, you know, the thing online, I finally actually talked to a customer service person. And basically what they had done is that they had actually included things in there from prior visits. And so uh, like six or seven months ago, I went to the doctor because I had probably many, they did x-rays. So that was in there. And there's also, one of the things that was in there was that uh, he renewed my prescription. I'm on low-dose statin. And uh, um, I don't even, I didn't need, I have two, three, I have three refills as it is. I didn't need a refill. He did that on his own. And they were now charging me because that was beyond the scope of a general physical. So what I discovered is that, um, in this case, Novant, um, throws everything they can at the insurance company and lets the insurance company determine what is allowable and what isn't. 
And whatever the insurance company says allowable, if it's beyond this, and whatever they won't cover, they then will bill me. So we're, this is an ongoing conversation that we're having with Novant. Um, so it's, I'm appealed that this is now going back the second time because when it came back, they said, here's our decision based on this. And I said, well, that test never happened and that never happened. So there's still nothing going on. But uh, I was really angry. <laughs> you know, it's like, this just isn't right. Um, and even beyond the anger, I'm just really baffled, you know, just really confused. It's just, you know, has the world gone completely crazy uh, that this is how you're going to do business? You just throw things out there, hope something sticks, and then you expect me to, to pay for that. And oh, I was just frazzled to no end. Um, I'm better today. <laughs> but at the time, in the moment this was happening, it's like, you've got to be kidding me. Has that ever happened to you? Just like somebody just, uh, that you're expected to comply with a decision that someone else made that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. It's beyond being reasonable. I hate that feeling. I, oh, it just grinds my gears. Um, the reality is that's a similar situation. It's a similar feeling that the three young men uh, find themselves in the Bible passage we're going to look at today. Uh, they were asked to do something they thought was unreasonable. And it was one that really troubled them, and it was one that they had a hard time with. Um, if you recall from last week, if you're here, that we're currently in a four-part series on the book of Daniel. And last week, uh, we looked at chapter 1. Now, Daniel is the only book in the Bible that occurs outside of Israel. The entirety of the story of Daniel, the events that happen in Daniel, happen in Babylon. It's the only book where that's the case. Everything else, every other book in the Bible occurs within um, the book or within the country of Israel predominantly. Um, we also learned last week that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he overran um, Israel, he destroyed the temple, and he also carried back to Babylon the best and the brightest. Young men and women who are, you know, the smartest, the strongest, the, you know, the most intelligent, and he would then um, re, re um, what's the word, retrain them reprogram them, and then uh, put them into service there in Babylon. And we learned that among the Jews who were taken back were four young men, um, probably between the ages of 14 and 17 is our best guess, uh, four young men whose name was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We also know that the Babylonians, as part of this enculturation, would give them new names. So instead of their Hebrew names, they now, Daniel became Belteshazzar, uh, Hananiah became Shadrach, Mishael became Meshach, and Azariah became Abednego. And what was really insulting is these names had to do with Babylonian gods. And so it wasn't just you have a Babylonian name, you had a name that reminded you that you were no longer in Israel, you were no longer in control, and there was another foreign god that was uh, exerting control over you. What's really interesting, though, is throughout the book of Daniel, Daniel gets to keep his name. We only hear Belteshazzar like here in chapter one. Like here's the name. But every, throughout the rest of the book, it's always Daniel. The, the other three, though, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, we only hear of their real names or Hebrew names in chapter one. From then on, we only know of them by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? That's the song we learned when we were little kids. Now, today we're going to look at an incident that, is, that occurred in chapter 3. And whereas Daniel was the focus of chapter 1, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to be uh, the focus of chapter 3. Now, I have to tell you, if you have your, the sermon outline uh, at, from the worship guide, uh, today I'm going off script. 
so for the most part, I'm, uh, there's, I'm, we're talking about the chapter, but I'm not going to be following it exactly. There's also segments of the passage that I think is originally planned. I'm actually, we're actually going to read through the whole book, or I'm sorry, through the whole, through the whole book of Daniel, through the whole chapter of uh, uh, Daniel chapter 3. Uh, here this morning. Just, I think it's just a great story that works, it's, works work well. But because of that, a number of the passages from chapter 3 are on the screen, but there's some segments that aren't. And so when we come to a segment that isn't, just understand that that's what happened, is that I'm off script and I'm adding stuff that wasn't originally planned for when we um, put this together a couple months ago. Uh, so Daniel chapter 3, I'm going to start with verse 1, and we're just kind of work our way through and talk about it as we go, all right? So, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold. <clears throat> that uh, image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Let me push the pause button here. Um, so let's unwrap this a little bit. They were 60 meters high, 6 meters wide. That's 90 feet. 90 feet high, 9-story building what we're looking at here. The nine feet wide was the base. We're not told what it looked like. There's a lot of speculation as to what it was. It, it could have just been an obelisk, like something that was shaped like the Washington Monument. It's just a, 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 a uh, I'm not sure how you would describe that. It's just a monument is what it is. Yes, thank you. Um, it, it may have been fashioned in a human image. It may, some speculate that, you know, that Nebuchadnezzar, um, had it fashioned in his image. We really don't know. It doesn't really tell us. Um, it, when it says it was gold, it probably wasn't solid gold. It was pretty common those days to, to overlay it. It was built of wood and then it had a gold overlay um, because the weight, if it was solid gold, would be uh, pretty, um, uh, pretty bad or pretty heavy. Notice here, notice here that all the invitees to this celebration, this dedication, were government leaders, all people in the, in the political realm, they were not part of the general population. This was just government officials who were invited to come be a part of it. This suggests to us that this whole ceremony was more about Nebuchadnezzar asserting political power than it was about establishing another religion. Bowing meant submitting to the power of Babylon and to its gods. They were synonymous. The, the, the inter, interchange between... Uh, um, politics and gods were, were inseparable. So if we beat you, it's because our guards were stronger. 
And so this is, but it was largely, we would understand what Nebuchadnezzar was doing is more political than it was um, spiritual. All right, so let's pick up then with the passage, verse 8. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Pause there again. Uh, these, uh, these were opportunists here. Uh, clearly, these were people who were, um, they were, um, they were jealous of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. My suspicion is they're Babylonians who are now jealous of the fact that there were Israelites who were now in these high government positions. And so they, they, there, was, there was probably some cultural animosity there um, because they actually do signal out the fact that they were uh, Jewish and not, uh, that was highlighted, the fact that they, were, um, they weren't like them. Um, and so that jealousy, that animosity was what caused them to turn on the three men. The arguments that they laid out there were intentionally worded. I don't know if you, were very actually um, well worded in that it was designed to make Nebuchadnezzar angry. You know, you, hey, you made this decree, right? This is your decree. Well, the people you appointed, they're not following it. They're not the ones, they don't respect you. Then it, and so they made it really personal by the way they framed uh, this it, between them. It wasn't just, hey, they're violating a law you set up. It was, they're disobeying you directly. So it was very, uh, very much there that, you know, you issued the decree, they've disregarded your power, they defy Babylon, was the way they looked at it. The other thing that I think is interesting is here at this point in time, Daniel's not mentioned in this. So the question for me is, you know, where is he? Was he a no-show? Um, is, or did he bow? Did he think this wasn't as big a deal as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did? Uh, again, we're, we're not sure. He's certainly not part of the, the central part of the story. Uh, but I do think it's interesting that, that he's not mentioned in this regard. So let's pick up with verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. <clears throat> And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? In that last sentence, that last statement, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Clearly, Nebuchadnezzar was a man with great pride and a huge ego. What God is big enough to actually rescue you from me? No one's bigger than me. Nebuchadnezzar feels his supreme power um, is bigger than anything, and he does not expect any God to interfere that his word, his power was ultimate. So let's pick up in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. 
If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I love that. In confronting them, Nebuchadnezzar was essentially wanting to know, hey, we know you didn't now. Was that really your intent? Did you just make a mistake? Um, Or is it your intent to dishonor the gods of Babylon and disobey me? Was that actually your intention? So he gave them an opportunity to say, you know, hey, we made a mistake and they could change. But he said, is this, was that your intent? And essentially they said, yeah. (laughs) Our intent is to dishonor you and the gods of Babylon. We do not intend to bow to the image you have set up. I love their response. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. They weren't trying to be discourteous. They weren't saying, hey, we don't need to talk to you, or we're, we're, we're not saying we're, we're above that. Basically, what they're saying is arguing with you would do no good. This is not an argument that we can, that's as part of this. For them, the issue is clearly whether their God was bigger than the Babylonian, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian God. This was between, this was a God issue, not for them to fight. So they didn't feel the need to fight or to argue back. They said, hey, we're not going to do it. Let's let, let's let the gods figure out how this is going to play out. In verse 19, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. I don't know about you, but I, in my mind, is like, what did this look like? What was the framework? So my best guess is it looks something like this. This is actually a, a kiln. Obviously, they made, they, they made bricks. Um, and so this is a kiln from Iraq in 1932. So it's obviously not from the same time period because they didn't have photographs back then. But nothing's changed. I mean, thousands, couple thousands of years, the way they made bricks in the Middle East hadn't changed. I mean, today it would look different, but in then, 1932, this is pretty much the same. And so you can see how, um, you know, where actually the opening was, but understood that it was, you know, underneath is where it was heated up, and you could actually then have a doorway to actually go into it, or where they had dropped in from the top, I'm not really sure. But my, my best guess is it looks something like that, um, it was fairly impressive. Um, all right, let's pick up with verse 24. <clears throat> so they fell into the furnace, the blazing furnace in 23. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. 
They saw that their fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. I mean, think about that. I mean, I know, I'm just out there at the grill, just cooking for a little bit from a distance. They come in, you have this smell on you, and yet nothing was there. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Ah, I just think that's the greatest, one of the great stories. Now, in your outline, the, the, the intended direction for this sermon was to give attention to the three young men. And, um, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were men of great courage. They were, had men of great conviction, great confidence, and great commitment. And surely, um, they're worthy of our attention. Yeah, so I'm in no way disagreeing with any of it. Um, you know, they didn't allow themselves to be influenced by the culture. It would have been very easy just to go with the flow, to take the easy path forward and, and to succumb to whatever pressure was there. They did not waver in the face of adversity, even in the face of death. You know, their demonstration of faith is one of the greatest examples in the Bible of someone fully resigned to the will of God. They asked for no miracle, and they expected none. Uh, a similar situation we see in the book of Job, where Job, uh, he finally came to the point, he says, though, he, though God slay me, I will still trust in him. These three young men had that attitude. Whether we live or die, we don't care. We're not bowing the knee. We're going to continue to be faithful to our God. So, yes, and certainly those three young men have a lot to, to teach us. However, the more I reflected on the passage this week and just kind of thought it through and just in reading, and the more I became convinced that the focus of the story is not about the three young men, but rather the focus of the story is God. It's about a God who is faithful to his people, even in captivity, and is ever ready to deliver those who put their trust in him. It's about a God who is stronger and more powerful than all the gods of this world. It's about a God who is always with us. We are never alone. When adversity hits, we often feel alone, like we're abandoned by God. And that's just wrong. That's just not accurate. The point of the story was that God was bigger than Nebuchadnezzar. And he's bigger than whatever problem you might be facing today too. So as I thought about this and kind of working it through again, the question I kept coming back to, what's the one big takeaway? What's the one thing that we should walk away with here today? You know, and some of it, you know, when you're, when you're looking at a biblical text, you know, maybe there's the literal, you know, application. Well, you know, and so if that's the case, if someone ever erects a 90-foot statue and asks you to go out and worship it, then you know what to do, you know, that you should not do that. But I don't think a literal application of this passage is what's, uh, was what's called for here. And I also don't think the big takeaway is God will rescue you every time you find yourself in trouble. Because we know that that's not true. We know it's not accurate. And, and again, it's not a reflection of God's insufficiency, and while that did happen here, 
There's too many instances in the Bible where a person was not rescued. I think of, you know, in the New Testament in particular, I think of John the Baptist. I think of Stephen, the apostle, who was stoned. I mean, I mean, Jesus himself was not spared because of what God had intended. God is able, and he is faithful, and he will deliver those who trust in him. But at times, God delivers us from the crisis. And that's what we pray for. And that's what uh, we want. And, and deliverance from that crisis is our hope. And certainly that's appropriate. The reality is, though, is that at time, God delivers us through the furnace. Uh, yesterday morning at the men's breakfast, uh, Scott was sharing uh, a little bit about just his life and uh, talking about legacy. And uh, as, as men, you know, what do we leave behind and what follows after us? And uh, it, was, it was kind of, for me, it was just interesting to realize that a year ago today, I mean, a year ago at this time, uh, Scott was on a ventilator with COVID. And many of you remember that time. And um, today he is a walking miracle. And uh, from the medical I remember talking to the nurse there in his, on the floor, and she said to everyone, he came into the hospital sometime, at an, and he said there were like four or five other patients. None of them survived. Um, he's the only one that survived. And, uh, and, but you had to hear him then talking to men about what is our legacy? What do we leave? And how does that influence our kids and the people we come in contact with? And I thought that was uh, just really cool. Now, I have no doubt, and I, this is not for me having a conversation with him, it's me speculating, but I have no doubt when they first started, had symptoms, their prayer was, God, heal us. God, may this just be a cold. May this be, but their prayer was, you know, God, keep us from this. Let's, you know, protect us and keep us and, you know, God, heal me. Well, that didn't happen. And sometimes God delivers us from the crisis, but sometimes God delivers us through the furnace. And Scott and Julia, as we know, went through the furnace. <clears throat> you know, we ask the question, well, why didn't God just heal them right away? Why, why, why? And it's a great question, but it doesn't have an answer, does it? We never will know. We have no idea. What I do know is they will tell you they were never alone. God was with them the entire time and he saw them through the furnace. And I can promise you that God will be with you through whatever furnace you might find yourself into. We can be confident of his presence and of his provision. I love that David in his, the Psalm 23, one that's familiar to most of us, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Another verse that came to mind uh, here for this is Isaiah 43. And I believe that this verse may be for someone here today. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you is Jacob. He who formed you, Israel. You can insert your name there. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, 
you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. We are never, ever alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you so very much. I, I'm just, uh, this story here of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these young men are certainly men that we can admire and certainly things that we can learn from. But Father, I think for us this morning, what you want us to hear isn't so much about them and their ability. It's, it's the confidence and the trust they had in you. And you never let us down. You were with them. You provided, you protected. Um, not no, no hair, no fiber of clothing was singed. Uh, Father, nothing on them was affected. Lord, you are with us through the fire. So, Lord, this morning, if there's some here, there's anyone here who just feels as if that they're in the middle of a furnace and they feel like they're about to be devoured, about to be consumed, Lord, may they, may they sense and they feel your, your presence wrap around them in this very moment, I pray in Jesus' name. May you bring comfort and peace. And Father, even though they may not know what the future holds or what it looked like, they know they can be confident that you will be with them, that you will not abandon them, that you will be through them through the entire thing. Father, that's our hope. That's our expectation. So Father, we're so grateful that we serve a living God that is not afraid or intimidated by the Nebuchadnezzars of the world, that is not uh, afraid or intimidated um, or feel overwhelmed by circumstances uh, that are beyond our control. I'm so grateful, Father, that we serve a God who is the creator of everything, who loves us intimately and personally. And nothing, nothing is beyond your ability to influence our lives. So, Father, we submit ourselves to you. Do what you desire to do in and through each of us, we pray. In Jesus' name.